Section 9 of The Rover, Volume 1, Number 20. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Alan O. Impara. The Rover, Volume 1, Number 20, edited by Seba Smith and Lawrence Libri. Section 9. A Tale of an Old Highlander by James Hogg the Ettrick Shepherd. When I was a shepherd at Willensley, there came to that place in the summer of 1789 a little old Highlander, whose name was Alexander Stewart, but who had all his life been distinguished by the name of Boyg from his father's farm. He remained with us all summer and harvest, and I think I never was so sorry at parting with a neighbor servant of the same sex before. He was what the rest of the servants called a shrewd, sensible body, indeed far, far above the people of that rank in Scotland. He had served both in America and at Gibraltar, and told me wonderful stories of both. The rest of the servants accounted all these stories lies, but not so with me. I swallowed them all as genuine truth, and if they were not so, they certainly told very like truth. How did you come to lose all your fourteenth boy? said I to him one day as we were reaping together. He instantly laid his sickle on his shoulder, put a hand to each side, felt his mouth with his forefinger, and said, Why, boy, I lost the at Gibraltar by a very singular accident. You see, I was stationed at a cannon on the countermere, and by there comes a Spanish twenty-six-pounder, with such a de-whiz, that the very wind of it threw me twenty yards to the left, about away from the battlement, where, falling on the pavement, I knocked out the hole in my teeth, as you see. How did you come to know the weight of the ball so exactly, Boyg? Why, because I weighed it. Weighed it? How did you catch it going at such a rate? Oh, bless your soul, boy. It struck the rook right behind my station and killed two men in the rebounding. And so, he having proved such an extraordinary fellow, we weighed him. We gathered up their balls as thick as peas and groats and we returned them again with interest. But the story which I set out with a design of telling was one which I made him tell several times over, and which he did with no variation that I could mark. He was witness to all the transactions himself, as far as a livery servant could be witness to them, and those often know more of the secrets and concerns of a family than their most intimate acquaintances do. I cannot vouch for the truth of the narrative, having no authority for it but Boyg's words. It is therefore with diffidence that I mention the names and titles of the actors. But without doing so, I cannot tell the story at all, which I shall give in very nearly his own words. I cannot conceive who Lady Livingston was. The rest of the names will answer for themselves if such men really were, for I do not know. I was cheap servant with old Lady Livingston in Edinburgh for many years, and was frequently trusted by gentlemen with messages and letters to her niece, Barbara Stewart, by far the greatest beauty of her day. She was held up beside as a great fortune, but as to that I can say nothing. She was heiress to her aunt, that is certain, and I believe to some trifling estate around Pertishire. However, she had plenty of suitors, for I believe there was not a young nobleman in the kingdom who ever saw her face that did not fall in love with her. It seemed to be the fashion of the day to be in love with Barbara, and to be seen with her in public was sufficient to introduce a young man into genteel society. 
Those were grand days for me, for I took bribes from everybody and served nobody. Lady Livison was strict and severe on the beauty. Consequently, there were private appointments to make, and billet doux without end to deliver, by which I was the only profiteer besides my young mistress, to whom presents poured in of the richest value. As far as I could judge of Miss Stewart, she was exceedingly volatile and gallantish. She loved to dance about with her handsome young gentlemen, and with noblemen in particular, and whether or not she meant to give them all encouragement I cannot tell. But it were manifest that greater part of them thought they were encouraged and persevered in their intentions. But of all the suitors, Captain James Drummond, son to the Earl of Merford, was a favorite with Lady Livingston. Her high notions of noblesse sent ancient and dignified lineage with prospects of future greatness secured her interest in his favor, and she ceased not tasing her nace early and late about the captain's high qualities. Barbara had nothing to say against them. She seemed quite indifferent and liked them just as well as any other, answering her aunt with some general remark as, Indeed, is he so very accomplished? Well, I declare I should hardly have discovered it if you had not told me. Thank you, my dear aunt. Order. Well, I believe it. Or how can I do otherwise when my dear aunt tells me so? The young soldier is good enough, without doubt, to those who love him, and too good for those who love him and cannot get him. Hi-ho! Well, baby, my dear, I have no wish to false your inclinations, but I have more nieces than you. That is some comfort, you know. And if you are determined to live and die an old maid... Oh, shocking! Scream, Barbara. I live and die an old maid? I declare I shall faint. Oh, dear aunt, what thought of me brought such a horrid expression into your mouth? He, 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 live and die an old maid? A shriek. Boy, I beseech you, go with my compliments to Captain Drummond and desire him to come here on the instant. What do you laugh at, you impertinent dog? I beg your pardon, Miss Barber, said I. I have been guilty of a great breach of good manners, but on me soul I could not help it. Your terrible hurry in sending for Captain Drummond, are you quite serious? Yes, perfectly serious. Tell him that I have something very serious to say to him, and my aunt has something very particular to say to him. But are you quite sure, madam, that I shall get into the castle at this late hour, or that if I were to get in, that it's improbable he will get out? He can come over the wall, you know. You can let him down by a rope. Be sure to take a good long strong rope with you, for he must come. That's flat. My aunt has given me such a fright that I shall not get out of it again till I am married. Go instantly, for I wish to see the captain first, who is so agreeable to my aunt. For the first man that pops the question to me now, I'll chap him, that I will. Was there ever such a madcap? exclaimed Lady Livingston, holding up her hands. Take away these things, boy, and go to your bed. Does the boy jilt suppose that she is to make fools of herself and me? I'll teach her otherwise. Whatever is done under my roof shall be done decently and in order. What? Send for a young officer express after supper? The girl's distracted. Moonstruck. Barbara was evidently enjoying her freak and her aunt's loss of temper. 
for as i was retiring she cast to me a look so languishing and at the same time so sly that i was speeding out at the door for the fear of again bursting forth with laughter but she called me back and continuing the same expression of countenance said boyk i say boyk him pray have you ever thought of marrying this was said in a manner conveying the insinuation that in her forlorn circumstances she would willingly marry me that very night the old lady sprang to her feet in a great rage or rather consternation thinking her darling niece seized by a fit of lunacy i clashed the door closed behind me and fled actually perspiring with suppressed laughter it is nothing to tell this story but had you seen it acted as i did it was exquisite the next day captain drummond came whether sent for it or not i cannot tell i suspect that he was for one of the girls brought in the caddy after breakfast he remained with the ladies all the forenoon and they were denied to every one else i was only once in with a chicken and some wine and shall never forget the scene there was my lady sitting with all the importance of a great diplomatist turning her benevolent looks on the honourable captain as she always styled him there was barbara with looks as demure as a devotee's and as innocent as a lamb but well i could see the lurking mischief in them and that she was playing the devil with captain drummond's heart misleading him in the most serious concern of life and actually doing all that she could to make a fool of him while well, at the same time he was gazing on her with a fondness which i never saw equalled i don't know what passed that day i would have given anything in life to have heard but could not i rather suppose that the minx was carrying on the same lesson as the evening before and was all complacence and condescension certain it is the match was concluded that day for so it afterward appeared at least that captain drummond supposed the match concluded that there was another supposed no such thing i was quite convinced i knew her well a finer form or lovelier sure i never beheld but there was a piquancy and sly restless mischievousness in her disposition quite peculiar she flaunted and dashed on as usual without the least difference and with much less restraint from her old aunt who was pleased with her darling's complaisance and moreover the division of the forty-second regiment then in the castle was ordered into sussex to join the rest of the regiment so that captain drummond was separated from his adored miss stuart for an indefinite space of time it made no difference with barbara on she went receiving new lovers almost every day and treating them even more kindly than before the principal louver now was mr john leon likewise a sprig of nobility a great puppy very handsome proud and overbearing and rather kept other lovers aloof by his boldness and importance than tried to make an impression on the lady's heart by kindness and condescension whether she ever cherished a thought of marrying this young man or not it is impossible to say for no living man could calculate on her motives from her actions perhaps she did for the greatest coquette keeps an eye forward to marriage as an a plus ultra of gallantry she gave him at this time decidedly the preference to all others of which he made a very haughty use pushing himself between her and other gallants without ceremony saving only saying begging your pardon sir or something to the same purpose 
Matters were in this state when there arrived from London an honorable Mr. John Drummond, who brought several letters of introduction from noble Jacobites' families there, and among others, one to Lady Livingston, stating that he was only son to the late Edward Drummond, Duke of Perth, and the lineal heir of the great Perth estates on the removal of the forfeitures, which were then under consideration. The young man was in consequence of this greatly caressed, and by none more than Lady Livingston, who all but worshipped him. He had been born and bred in France, and was a thorough Frenchman, all flattery, wit, and good humor, and the very man for Barber Stuart. Here my description falls far short of the original story-seller, for he had all the Frenchman's motions, his bows, his capers, and his wit, which was ten times more diverting in his broken English and French mix. I used to laugh immoderately at Boyg's exhibition of the Duke of Perth, his good humor with the young lady, and his flattery of the old one. It must have been exquisite. Well, truth to say, he was at once the adopted sweetheart, for to see Barbara Stewart was to be in love with her, and this great heir to the Perth estates being taken captive at once, plied his flattery, his bows, and his fantastic motions with so good an effect that Barbara Stewart actually was one to the great delight of Lady Livingston, who thought no more of Captain Drummond Highland cousin to the new wooer, but acquiesced most liberally in his proposals. But then Mr. Leone had gained a real or supposed footing, and his pride and contumacy were not likely to be evilly overborne. Of this Mr. Drummond knew nothing, but gallanted his beloved openly, to the great despite of many a lovelorn youth. They visited together many of the old Jacobite families, and at Lord Rollo's fell in with Leon, who evidently laid himself out to insult the new favorite, and even condescended to the meanness of addressing him by the title of Duc de Put. Drubend, however, put off everything, with some reply that set the whole party in a roar of laughter. He held up his hands, straddled with his knees, turned up the whites of his eyes. Ah, Duke de Pert, very happy, assez propre, thank you, Monsieur Leong, much obliger, great obligue. The next day being fine, Mr. Drummond and Barbara went out to take a private walk, and at the south point of a place called Burnsfield Links, Mr. Leong came up with them. He called at Lady Livingston's house in the horsewind. I answered the door and told him which way the lovers had gone. He followed, apparently in a bad humor, and overtaking them at the place mentioned he, as usual, pushed himself rudely in between them with a begging your pardon, sir, but if you please. What? I please? No, I please no such thing, and I will see you to damnation before I submit you to any such treatment. So stand you aside like a gentle whom. At the same time, Barbara drew her arrested arm from Leon and said, Pray, what is the meaning of this, Mr. Leon? Who gave you a right to take such freedoms with me? Who gave me a right, madam? exclaimed he fiercely. I, who gives you the right, sir? asked the Frenchman. Was it the laddie, or was it I? Because without the one or the other or both, you cannot be here. And with that again, he took Miss Barbara Stewart's thrilling arm. Leon was gold beyond what his proud and insolent nature could endure, 
and cursing Drummond for an impostor, he struck him a violent blow, bidding him make the best of that he could. Sir, I will not fight like a beggar, but if you be a gentleman, which I will see you are not, please to draw at your rapier, and I will thrust you through and through like body. Oh, ye have no weapons. No, ye come out like a blackmore guard to be gentle home that have weapons, thinking you safe. But do you take that and that? And with that, Drummond gave him two hearty kicks, presenting at the same time his sharp rapier in such a manner that it was impossible for his antagonist to return them. There was now no alternative. A challenge from Lyon was the consequence. The master of Rollo and Dr. Graham were the seconds. The rivals met that evening on the spot where they had quarreled, and Drummond, having the choice of weapons, chose the rapier by the cause that he knew older along with him and it voldu, he said. Leon acquiesced without hesitation and soon proved that he was no novice in the art. They fought with great coolness and caution, and with as much ease as if they had been playing with foils. Leon drew the first blood wounding Mr. Drummond rather slightly below the right arm and across the shoulder. The master of Rollo then interfered, protesting against further violence, and strange to say, the wounded acquiesced. But the other refused, saying it was a mere scratch. He would have the insulting dog's heart's blood. What I do, you say, Sue? cried Drummond. Then for the denier resort. They then fought very hard and close for the space of a minute and a half when Drummond run him through the body and the young man was carried home a corpse. Drummond retired to the nominal concealment for a while, but on trial was fairly exculpated. Shortly after that, Miss Barbara Stewart and he were married. In the interim, word had reached Captain Drummond at headquarters how matters were likely to end with his betrothed and his cousin. He therefore got leave of absence for a while and posted to Edinburgh. But ere he arrived, the marriage was consummated. He had loved with all the warmth of his noble nature and was so affected by Barbara's deceit and ingratitude that he felt sick and scarcely spoke or saw the light for nearly a month. But perhaps during a part of this time, he had been studying the most ample revenge, which he soon found the means of putting in practice. He conceived himself to have been exceedingly ill-used, and without seeing either Barber or the fortunate lover, he had again posted to the regiment and from thence to London. Hitherto, no one had doubted that Mr. John Drummond, husband of Barbara Stewart, was the true and lineal heir to the Great Perth estate. I cannot be sure that I recollect exactly the relationship, although often minutely described to me by Boyg but I think his father was uncle to James, the first Duke of Perth, and on the decease of the latter at St. Germain, this John's father, the Lord Edward Drummond, assumed the title. He spent all his life in the interior of France in religious seclusion, and this John was the only surviving child of him and his wife, Lady Elizabeth Middleton, both of whom were dead, so that there could be no doubt as to his right of succession. Captain Drummond, however, saw matters in a different light. Although three or four degrees farther removed, he perceived how difficult it would be for his rival to adduce sufficient evidence of his legitimacy from the interior of France, considering the secluded life of his father and the then state of that kingdom. 
The captain, seizing the opportunity, went boldly forward and accused his rival as an impostor, and claimed the property for himself. He having the best advocates of the kingdom, the lords admitted the plea, and ordered the former claimant to produce the proofs of his propinquity. Mr. Drummond was astonished at the news. He hastened to London, taking his wife with him, and from thence to Douai, in Flanders, where he was born, from thence to Lyon, in pursuit of proper witnesses, which journey took him the greater part of a year. In the meantime, Captain Drummond had instituted a keen inquiry at home, and had even brought forward those who deposed that Lady Edward Drummond never had a child and there certainly were some letters produced which if genuine went far to prove the truth of the statement the consequence was that before john drummond's return to england the minds of the lords were made up regarding the right of possession and although they waited his arrival it was more for form's sake than a persuasion of the validity of his claims he came to london at length and produced a register of his birth from the catholic college of douai but the other party prevailed in procuring its rejection owing to its non-correspondence with other dates he brought also plenty of witnesses who proved his having been brought up and educated as the son of lord edward drummond and of his wife lady elizabeth middleton but they proved of no avail regarding his birth by that lady there having been counter-evidence produced which in the eye of the law was more decisive the consequence in short was that after a tedious litigation it was at last finally decided in the court of sessions at edinburgh in favor of captain james drummond of the melford family who became thereby possessed of the perth property never was a retaliation over a successful rival in love more complete than this was as it left john drummond and his wife totally ruined in their circumstances and deprived of their hopes boyg went abroad with them when they went in search of evidence and on reaching Calais on their way home, Lady Perth, as she had been styled ever since her marriage, was left behind, being unable from the state she was in to proceed further, and Boyg remained with her. She was there delivered of a son, but was so meanly lodged, and left so poor, that she was obliged to borrow from Boyg till he had not a sixpence left. In this wretched state was the one celebrated beauty lying, when her husband after long absence returned to france with the news that they were utterly ruined but this was not the worst her husband had published an article in some london journal i think a magazine wherein he accused captain drummond then lord perth of the most grievous malpractices against him of suborning false witnesses and keeping back others and altogether with charges so villainous that they could not be overlooked it would have been better had they been so as uttered by an irritated disappointed man but the high spirit of lord perth would not submit to it he followed his relation to calais accompanied by major mcglashan of the twenty-first and after vainly endeavouring to draw from mr drummond a counter-statement challenged him but the circumstance that rendered his tale so interesting to me at first and impressed all the circumstances so strongly on my remembrance is yet to narrate for without something a little tinged with the supernatural, a tale has few charms for me. Well, it so happened that one fine pleasant day, as Mr. John Drummond was walking by himself on Burnsfield Links at Edinburgh, near by the scene of the fatal rencounter with John Lyon, that gentleman came up to him alive and well, 
and asked him how he liked to be married. The other, struck with astonishment, made no answer but stood and gazed at the querist, who again accosting him said, You deprive me foully of my love and my life, Drummond, but I shall be even with you today, and the next time I meet with you, I'll shoot you through here, touching his head with the point of his forefinger close above the right ear. The vision, of course, proved a dream, for instead of being walking on Burnsfield links, he was lying in his own chamber in the horsewind, with his lovely Barbara in his arms, but the moment that the apparition touched him with its finger, he sprung from his bed and exclaimed that he was shot through the head. His lady started up in amazement, crying out, How? Where? By whom? By that scoundrel Leon, said he. It was eight o'clock in the morning. The sun was shining into the room, and when Barbara received this answer, she grew pale as death, thinking her husband was deranged. It is true, exclaimed he wildly. I am, I am shot through the head, and my brains are blown out. Look and satisfy yourself at the hole the bullet has made. Merciful heaven, was I out on the links naked? You are raving, Drummond, cried she, weeping and throwing her arms around him. Seized by some mortal frenzy, I fear. Compose yourself and lie down, for you were out nowhere but lying sound asleep with me. He got his head bound up and lay down, trying to compose himself, but his ideal wound was so painful that he continued in an agony until a letter was brought upstairs to him. It was that which stated to him the new claims of his rival on the Perth estate, and the strong doubts entertained of his own propinquity. This was a most galling business, and the anxiety of mind that it threw him into completely eradicated the vision and the wound from his head. Nor did he ever think of them more until the same vision was repeated to him at Calais. He dreamed that he was walking on Burnsfield links, and Mr. Leon came up to him and asked how he liked to be married. The dreamer still had no power to reply, while the other continued, You deprived me foully of my love and my life, Drummond, and sent me all unprepared to my account. But I am even with you now, and am come to fulfill my promise. Be expeditious, and I will wait here till I take you with me. Drummond started up in a cold perspiration with terror and astonishment. And just as he was saying to his wife that he was going to die and would never see the evening of that day, the door opened and Boyd handed him a note from Major McGlashan. Notwithstanding this solemn and dreadful warning, Drummond refused to retract one item of what he had published and signed with his name. And the event was that he fought with Lord Perth and was shot through the head at the first fire, the ball entering immediately above the right ear on the very spot where the apparition touched with its finger. The remainder of Barbara Stewart's history is too painful to relate. Poor Boyg, who left her at last having neither money nor clothes to come home with, often wept when speaking of her. With regard to the merits of the cause, I know nothing. It was Boyg's opinion that his master was the true and lineal heir, and from him I imbibed my ideas. He always admitted, however, that Captain Drummond, then Lord Perth, was an excellent man, a gentleman of high honor and integrity. Indeed, greatly superior to the other in every respect, but never that he was the proper heir. Never was retaliation on a deceitful lover visited home with such an overpowering intensity. End of section 9